Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 87, Should You Get a Film Degree with Amanda Campbell. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks guys for tuning in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Here on the podcast, we talk about all things video, whether it's storyboarding, script writing, how to price your work, or even contracts. We talk about it all. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh. It is a private group where you can come share videos, ask for feedback, ask questions, and things of that nature. So come join us over at Filming with Josh on Facebook. Today, I am joined by my friend, Amanda Campbell. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing really good, especially now that I'm already on my third cup of coffee and it's 9 a.m. and I'll probably have like two more this morning. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Fun fact, I gave up coffee um, a month ago Stop now. Stop it. Really? Yeah. So I'm sipping on some positivity tea. Positivity It's been good tea. though. It's been good because I feel like as creatives, uh, there's a lot of things that drive us, but caffeine is one of those things. And yes. <laughs> I just figured my adrenal clans could maybe take a break. <laughs> <laughs> you were last time I saw you chugging some coffee, though. <laughs> coffee, coffee, yeah. Whenever our last shoot was down at Texas State, um, yeah, I was up to like two, sometimes three cups a day and like double shot lattes. Yeah, yeah. couldn't. I was like, you know what? My body's trying to tell me something and I'm going to listen to her <laughs> for once. <laughs> to, to be fair, we did have two 16-hour days. That was like a really long shoot. <laughs> It was. It was a long shoot. Weather was rough. Um, the client, granted, was super fun and everything. It was just a lot of energy to expel. Um, it takes it out of you. So, yeah, coffee is a go-to for shoot days for me still. <laughs> Has to. Has to happen. You know, for me, coffee is not about the caffeine. I just like the warm drink. Oh, see? You're weird. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think the caffeine does anything. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. I can't agree with that. My It like tunes my ADHD up a little bit to keep okay. me going for like four hours and then it falls off and then I like refuel and then it falls off. So, oh man. Yeah, that's why I had to break that cycle, man. I couldn't keep doing that. And I honestly feel great. Now I'm going until 9, 10 p.m. at night, which toxic productivity, but I got to get some stuff done in this season before I move. So um, my energy levels have been really, really good throughout the day. I haven't had any crashes, any lulls, nothing. So it's been really nice, actually. I would highly That's recommend awesome. it. If you're thinking about giving up coffee, you should try it. <laughs> well, since I'm having a baby in a week, I'm definitely not giving up coffee. If anything, Don't I might that. up my dosage. <laughs> That's a suicide mission. Check back um, with me maybe in a year or so. <laughs> we'll exclude you from this, from okay. this journey. <laughs> So for those of you who don't know, Amanda is with Amanda Campbell Visuals, and she, Amanda Campbell Visuals, that is like a tongue twister for some reason. I know. <laughs> and, um, I like to break it down to ACV. Um, just oh, I like easier. that. Yeah. Yes. Um, Amanda, you're up in the Dallas area currently, but you're getting ready to move down to Austin. Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, why you're moving to Austin, things of that nature. Yeah. So... Um, I'm going to kind of share my backstory on how I ended up in Dallas first, if that's okay. No, that's fine. Um, I graduated from Stephen F. Austin State University with um, filmmaking, Axe and Jacks with a filmmaking degree back in 2018. I was there from 2014 to 2018. And after I left film school and I graduated and I finished, it was when I was working at the Cannes Film Festival on internship. 
Um, I didn't walk at my oh, graduation. I awesome. instead went to, yeah, I went to France and I wanted to work there so I could get that experience under my belt. I got a scholarship for it. So like it was majority paid for, like, I think all I had to do was pay for the plane ticket, um, because of this fund that funneled through the film school from a really nice lady who I owe a lot to. Um, so while I was in France, my sister got engaged and I really wanted to be active in her kid's life. Um, long story short though, after the last however many years, the marriage kind of fell through and there were no kids. And so essentially I got stuck in Dallas in a sense. Um, and I say that lightly, take that with a grain of salt because Dallas market was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. However, my goal after school was to go to Austin or LA, but at the time I obviously could not go to LA. I just, I didn't have the guts for it. Um, you have to have a lot of goal to go out there, a lot of guts to go out there right out of film school in my, in my opinion. And I had a lot of friends who did that. Um, but my goal was Austin. I just, I jive better with Austin's energy, with Austin's vibe and Dallas just seemed so corporate and, um, I don't know. It just didn't feel like me. I grew up here for 20 years before I went off to school, you know, and, I didn't want to come back to my hometown. I was like, I don't want to do that. It's not where I want to be. I want to go out. I want to get uncomfortable. I want to be in a new environment. So here we are, 2018 to 2023. How many years is that? Like five years later, I've been pretty much just doing weddings. I'm a photographer and a videographer, so I do both. I ended up getting a major in filmmaking, double majoring in graphic design, minored in photography and um, <laughs> ceramics. I wanted to do it all in school. I just wanted to like for anyone listening. Everything. She just put all of us to shame. No, I am putting no one to shame. I struggled just the same. I'm just too much of a go getter. Again, back to the toxic productivity comment I made earlier. It's just there's this drive in me that I don't, you know, I can't not listen to. Um, so. Anyway, weddings, lots of weddings, lots of corporate gigs now, um, and I'm just ready to get uncomfortable. I feel a little bit complacent in my my city that I've grown up in, that I've known for now 26, 27 years, and I'm ready to just get out and get into a new environment, work with some new people. The people I've met in Dallas are irreplaceable. I, I've, I owe so much of my success to so many mentors that I met here in Dallas, but also I have mentors all across the world um, that believed in me and saw something in me and I could annoy whenever I wanted, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I'm just ready to get out of here and kind of get uncomfortable again, you know? Austin does have a different vibe to it. You know, when I first moved down to Austin, I wasn't sure how to feel. I'm a small town country boy at heart. Um, but I ended up loving the atmosphere down here. I live a little south of Austin, but just the whole area with, man, it's just, I, I feel like people have so much passion here about the different things that they're into, whether or not it's video or photography or fly fishing or whatever it is. There's just a lot of passion in this area and people come here to build this culture where you can really pursue your dreams. I really love that. I agree. Yeah. And my roommate who I'm living with, he actually used to be one of my mentors who I'm moving in with down in Austin. And he will randomly just tell me like, hey, I'm going to go shoot with so-and-so tonight. Like we just decided, you know, we're going to go out and do whatever. And I'm like, the fact that you can just like pick up and leave and go and do that, 
Whereas like I have trouble even scheduling like a styled shoot sometimes <laughs> weeks out, you know, he just has these friends who also have this undying interest in photo video stuff. So it'll be nice to be able to, as soon as a fire ignites under my butt, hey, let me grab the nearest creative that I know is willing and see if they're available to shoot. And most of the time they will be because we're all on the same track. We're all doing the same thing. We're all doing this full time. We know what each other's evenings look like. It's either going to be, okay, we're shooting or we're stuck editing or we need to get the hell out of the house. And, you know, <laughs> Get away yeah. from our screens, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I haven't really found that here. I haven't found almost that obsession with this. And I've found that in people down in Austin time and time again. So yeah, you're right. There is kind of this like energy down there that is continuously flowing and recreating itself within creatives. And they're just obsessed with it like I am. So I feel very at home there already. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I also feel like clients here are kind of that way. Like I was on a shoot yesterday. We started at 7 a.m. We wrapped at, oh man, what time? No, I guess this was two days ago. My days are starting to run together. We started, <laughs> But we started at 7 a.m. and we wrapped at like 8 or 9 p.m. And I, I was asking a lot of my client they didn't care. Like they, they really wanted to just do whatever it took to push the envelope to get that extra creative shot. Heck and yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's just awesome. You know, whether it's, whether it's other creatives or even clients, like just to have that kind of atmosphere where everybody wants to achieve the same thing. I just really like that. I agree. Yeah. That's definitely something that you want to have. Um, whenever you're working in this field, you want somebody to also be as passionate about what they're paying for, for you to create as much as you want to make it good, you know? Hundred percent. So you said that you you do a lot of weddings. Is that what you want to focus on when you move to Austin, or do you want to do other things as well? I know that you do other things, but I'm just curious because I know that this is like a mecca for for weddings in Texas. This area right. is Dripping Springs. I'm pretty sure Dripping, but don't quote me. But I think Dripping Springs is named like the capital, like the wedding capital in the U.S. or in the world or something. I don't know. It's something like that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and Dripping Springs is just that little town just west of Austin. I got um, married there. <laughs> yeah, the, the example A, you know, wedding <laughs> after wedding after wedding venue on the side of that highway going out there. So, you know, I've been split 50-50 with commercial and wedding work for the last couple of years now. And honestly, it's balanced itself out very well. I receive more of a creative fulfillment from my wedding work. Um, I receive that very that lack of structure, that, you know, run and gun type filmmaking and photography too with weddings. And it's almost like this hunger that I can't get rid of, you know, it's it, it's exhausting work and it's fulfilling work in that sense. However, in the commercial realm of things, I don't know what side of my brain it feeds, but it feeds it. Um, I also have this very type A factor to myself and commercial work feeds that because it's usually looking for something very clean cut. It has one job and that's what it needs to fulfill and I can fulfill it every time. And I love that. I love that I can collaborate with somebody on something that's just very cut and dry. And I like boundaries with, within creativity sometimes because then it's like, okay, go crazy within this realm and you know, you have boundaries to stay within. Whereas with weddings, it's more like, the sky's your limit and it's kind of overwhelming. It's like, oh God, like what can I do with all this? Like, oh my gosh, this is so much to work with. Um, so yeah, I would say they both feed these different sides of me and 
yeah, I just, I really like both. I think I'm going to probably end up focusing on both whenever I move down there. I would like to at least. It just kind of depends. The nature of the industry, you know, is you get what you get. And if you're not booked, you take it. Or if the job is going to pay enough to obviously like help pay your bills, you're going to take it. Um, If you and the client jive, if you, you know, if you're passionate about the work that they're coming to you about, you're going to take it. Um, So it just kind of depends on what comes. And it is representative of how I put myself out there too. So I have to make sure that what I'm putting online, what my presence is, who I'm talking to, um, that that kind of correlates with the clientele coming in. Yeah, hundred percent. I totally get that. I think um, I think there's definitely a huge market for both here. So you probably won't have a problem feeding both sides. Yeah. Um, I definitely think so. The shoots that we've done together are kind of like the ones that we did were kind of a combination of a little bit of structure within a box, but then also super run and gun. So we kind of did a little bit of both. So yeah. I've seen I've seen you kind of work in, in both realms. Um, but I definitely think that this is a great area to come for, for those types of projects and you'll, you'll have no problem picking up work here, no doubt. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm excited. I'm, I'm pumped to just kind of be in a different realm of things, you know, hundred percent. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little about the projects we have done together. Cause I've, I've had a lot of fun shooting with you. Um, and I've told, I said this on a few podcasts ago where I kind of broke down, uh, the project, the last project we did together. And I made the comment and I stand by this, that you are the best shooter I've ever brought out on, on a project ever. And I like, and, and kind of, you had a creative director role as well. And I really feel like you are hands down the best person I've ever worked with. Oh you my understand? Gosh. Thank you. <laughs> no, you do. You understand, you understand the vision. You understand what I'm trying to do. You understand lighting, you understand sound, you understand camera movement and, and concepts. And I feel like a lot of people I work with, they're either real tech focused but not very creative or they're very creative, but they have no tech background. And you yes. you have a combination of both, which is something I look for in someone. And that's why I think you're hands down the best I've ever worked with. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And it's that's honestly something that I do definitely pride myself on um, because I've run into the same thing in the past where I have second shooters who they know a camera like the back of their hand, right? Like they know settings, they know they know all the shortcuts, they have everything nailed down on their camera exactly how they need it to be, yet their composition is horrible or they can't they don't have a creative bone in their body. And then I'll also have the opposite where somebody can be so creative and so driven in that and then I look at their stuff and their settings were all completely wrong. They're shooting at like F8 and like 160th shutter speed during like bridal portrait or like, you know, wedding portraits, like the couple's portraits. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you said that you knew what you were doing. I understand that you have this beautiful vision and you have all of these visuals in your mind that you want to like put into the camera, but learn the tech stuff too. So I definitely look for that, those two things in anybody that I'm hiring because you never know what you're going to get. Um, so by you taking a chance on me, that meant a lot when we first shot together, because I think you said that you just saw me on Facebook way long time ago. I like posted a random video of my sisters cause I was on vacation with them and I like to make like little short vlogs. And I think that you said you saw that video and you kind of put it in the back of your mind. Like, okay, if I ever need someone for a project, I saw this girl on Facebook. She goes to, she went to SFA. I can ask her for, you know, as a second shooter to come and help. And I think that's how you said you hired me, right? Like you remembered to reach out. So yeah. taking a chance on people like that is very sketchy. And I feel like it's 
one percenters who come through and, and I sound so pompous saying this so cocky, but truthfully, so I have dumped myself into this. Like I have, I've gone into eons of student debt to learn every single thing that I possibly could about my camera, my creativity, visions, the industry, etc. So thank you for that. It's a huge compliment, especially coming from you. Appreciate that. Well, yeah, no, and you're, you're right on. So basically I, I had seen a long time ago that um, there was a, a girl that did video that went to SFA and I went to SFA. I left, let's see, you started in 14? I started in 14. I left in 14. So okay. we just, we like just missed each other. Just missed each other. <laughs> just missed each other. <laughs> but I had seen, I had seen that you were on Facebook and I think you liked a video. I made a video for SFA's College of Business many, many, many years ago. Yes. It was like nine years ago, something like that. And I remember you liked it. And that's how I saw that there was a person on Facebook who is a girl that went to SFA that did video. And I kind of remembered that. But then, you know, years go by and I see this, like you said, you posted this little video. It's like a travel video or something. It's something really small, yeah. but it was really pretty. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I forgot about this person. And I put yeah. a mental note in. And then I Facebook stalked you because mm -hmm. I wanted to know, like, if I'm gonna, if I'm interested in maybe hiring someone, I need to know a little bit about them. I'm gonna so look I at saw, their website. I'm yeah, gonna look at their right. website. I'm gonna look at a lot of things. And I happened to notice that you were a tridelt at mm -hmm. SFA. And when I saw yeah. that, not like two months later, I end up getting approached by Alpha Z Delta at Texas State to do a project yeah. for them. And I was like, oh, I got the perfect person. <laughs> I got a girl who was a, a sorority girl who has a film background, who's a great shooter. I'm going to call her. And that's how, yes. how we connected up. It was the perfect combination for that project. Literally talk about a God thing. Yeah, no, that. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> it really is like a triple threat situation where like I kind of have my feet in all these different arenas. And um, yeah, no, I'm glad that happened, though. <laughs> I think you don't understand. I don't know that I would have taken on that job had you not have said yes to working with me on it. Oh, thank you. No, it seriously <laughs> could not have gone better, though. The final product looks so good. And yeah, this well, one I'm even more excited to see. This time. Yeah, it looks <laughs> so good. <laughs> Yeah, no, no I just, I felt like that, that project was very outside of my comfort zone. And also not to like, not to say anything about a sorority, but there's so many girls and I'm one guy and I was like, right. man, the thought of me trying to coordinate this on my own sounds awful. Yeah. It's like, I need someone who gets it, who's right. been in that position before, who understands, but also understands my side. And I was like, if she says, yes, I'm taking this project. You said, yes, I took the project and it was awesome. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. I definitely did. I think all four years I was a Tri-Delta, I made the recruitment video and um, they were awful. Oh my God, they were so bad, Josh. This was before I understood like frame rate and you know how to do any anything because I was <laughs> photos focused. Okay, let me back up. So from 10th grade, or I guess going into 10th grade, so what was that, 2011. 2011 is when I first took a photojournalism class and I was already in love with photography, or so I thought. I had quit all my varsity sports and left varsity tennis. I had made the team as a freshman. And I remember my coach was like, you're making a big mistake. You know, I was 14 at the time, so whatever. Like, it's not life-changing, whatever. So I went ahead and I took a photojournalism course at my high school. Met Tony Marsh, one of my mentors. She was my teacher, and she totally turned me on to photo and to just documentary, you know, documentary-style 
documenting like you know photography um because within your book you know you have to be able to document and tell a story through not just photo but through words as well and so i ended up going like through all these like um what do you call it competitions like jea competitions and submitting my work and i started to win all these awards and i was like oh maybe like i actually have a knack for this like maybe i'm actually good at this you know maybe this is something i can pursue and i remember begging my mom to get me a camera and she was like, no, we've gone through guitar, we've gone through drums, we've gone through tennis, we've gone through soccer, we've gone through dance gymnastics. To be no fair, more. as a parent, I understand that. I would have said no too. I would have said no to my daughter if she was like, can I have an expensive camera as a 14-year-old girl? I would have been like, no. Um, no. But she got it for me, I think for Christmas or a birthday gift or something. So I could move over from using the school's cameras to now my own. And that was a game changer because now I could modify the camera to however I wanted because it wasn't being reset every time I would give it back to the school, right? So, um, Ooh, yeah, photo. Crazy. Yeah. So, photo born for sure is where the seed was planted. And then I started shooting weddings in high school. I started shooting so many seniors, so many seniors in high school. I don't even want to know how many senior sessions I shot in high school in those four years or three years. Um, so many engagement photos, couples portraits. I mean, whatever I could get my hands on, I was saying yes to. And I was charging like 50 bucks. I didn't care. I just wanted to like get the experience under my belt because I was young and I was working at a restaurant the whole time in high school too. So I was like, oh, it's a cool side gig. Went off to college, did not want to go off to college. I was so mad I had to go to school. I wanted to stay home and just be a wedding photographer. And I'm so grateful. I'm so, so grateful that my mom said, no way, you're going to school, you're getting a degree. You come from a lineage of degrees. Like we already saved up some college fund for you over the years. Like you're going to use that and you're going to get through school. Um, now I went to school in 2014. So a college fund did not cover Jack, but, but it covered some and I'm grateful for that. So I went off to school and that's when my world kind of started to crash a little bit in a good way because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I was like, oh my God, somebody's trusting me at 18 years old to pick my life's path. Like this makes no sense to me. Why would anybody do this? So I jumped around. I think I was in like five or six different majors. And then by the time I was latter sophomore year, I was in a random drawing class and it was just an elective that I could take to fill one of my elective courses to graduate. And I look over and I see this girl has something. I don't remember quite what it was. It was a camera or a lens or a light or something next to her backpack on the floor next to her easel. And I was like, is that a da-da-da? You know, I asked what it was and she said, oh yeah, it's for my film class. And I was like, film class? Wait, I'm in mass communications. Are you in mass communications? Like, are you doing, you know, that like journalism? And she's like, no, like the film school, like the filmmaking school. And I was like, wait, we have a film school? <laughs> and I didn't want to go to college for photography because I was stubborn and I just didn't want to get a photography degree knowing I had five years under my belt. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to spend my money on that. Um, and no offense to anybody who did. I think a photography degree is a great route. It just was not for me. I wanted to do something more difficult and more difficult for me personally. I had already figured photo out. I already knew the trends. I already knew the settings. I already knew a camera. I already knew multiple brands of cameras. So I said, I'm going to go join the film school, I guess. Like, I know nothing about film and it really intimidates me, but I would love to learn it. Um, so that's when I went over and I met Professor R. Scott, who was like the dean of the film school. And I'm pretty sure he still is. He's like 90 five now, I think. Um, so I met with him and I ended up joining the film school and 
The rest is kind of history. Uh, film school kicked my ass, for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> it truthfully, Josh, like, <laughs> if I could go back and give Amanda, like, 20-year-old Amanda, 19-year-old Amanda a big old hug, I would. <laughs> it was so hard, and it was so excruciating, and so worth it. So worth it for me personally. So walk us through what was so hard about it. So they called it, what they call it? Thinning the crop or like weaning, weaning out something. Essentially getting rid of the week is what they mm-hmm. called the first two courses. So <laughs> your first semester is like the first film class, right? We had Brad Mall. Brad Mall was my professor. He was on General Hospital for years. He was an incredible professor too. Um, he taught a lot of the intro stuff. He would act in a lot of films still. Like he was a great actor. So he taught the first one. And I remember our first project. I can't even believe I remember this. But we had to make a black and white film, absolutely no color and absolutely no sound. Because if you could at least tell a story without using any color or any sound, then you're probably going to be fine. So it was so hard for me. I'm horrible at script writing. I could barely make this project happen. And I think it was a group project too. And poor whoever had to carry the weight. Oh my God. I just, I was like, this is so difficult for me. Like, I don't know how to do any of this, but I wanted to, I wanted it so bad. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to stay. I'm going to help any way that I can. Um, second semester was when the weaning process happened and you would see like a 50 to 60% drop rate in the film program. I mean, people were just dropping like flies. It was just really (laughs) hard material and just learning stuff. Like everybody pretty much started out as an electrician or a grip. So you had to know every single term. You had to know anything about like circuitry and lighting, watts, all that stuff. Like you had to be able to know all that stuff. So it was really difficult. I think I barely passed that class (laughs) the second (laughs) semester. And then finally summer feature, which if you're from SFA and you were a film student or even just an arts student, you know what the summer feature is and it's where they call somebody in from you know we had levy isaacs um he dp'd i think mean girls don't quote me on this you can look him up on imdb but um levy isaacs came in for our summer feature and they're hard asses like they they treat you as if you are in the industry and we pay to make a full-length feature film the entire summer or like the first you know month or two months of summer and it is 12 hour long days sometimes 12 hour long nights i remember for one whole week we had to work night shifts and it was hard like you picture me like 120 pound little college student carrying around an hmi light like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, there's a picture of me on the back of the U-Haul holding like this big, I think it was an HMI light. And you could just see like my little twig arms trying to hold this thing up. But I was so determined and I was so terrified all at the same time. And I saw the people in the feature film on set who were operating camera. And that's that was my end goal. I wanted to be a camera operator or a DP. Like that was what I was striving to get towards and all of those people had already been in the film program for two or three years so I'd only been there at that point for like two semesters so you definitely had to work your way up but second summer feature I want to say second summer feature I was camera operator 
And then for the third summer feature film set, I had already graduated, but I begged them. I said, can I come back on and spend my last summer before I move back to Dallas? Can I spend it on set with you guys and just be a behind-the-scenes um, photographer? And they let me on. They let me come and do that for the summer feature. So the terminology, the grit that you have to have, the hours put in outside of school, it is like a full-time job two times over while I was still doing full-time photography and working at the graphic shop on SFA's campus. So I was doing graphic design stuff there, working ungodly hours. Like I look back and I don't understand how I did that. (laughs) Um, You couldn't get me to do that now. So yeah, it was just, you had to have a level of grit and people dropped like flies, like I said. Like it's hard work, dude. I am honestly, I remember calling my mom my senior year of high school or college crying to her and saying, I can't do it. I want to drop. I I literally cannot keep going. I'm parked outside of the film building right now to go to class and I want to drive to Dallas and I want to drop everything and move home. I hate this. And I was so close to being done. It was like my last semester of school and I was making like my senior film or something that week and I had just cracked and I called my mom crying. I was like, I want to come home. Um, but I feel like I've been on projects like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm so glad I stayed and poured that time, energy, and money into it because the memories alone are irreplaceable. Um, And the knowledge that I gained from real life industry professionals, irreplaceable. And I could go on about the things that I absolutely loved about it um, and also didn't love about it. Um, However, I'm going to switch the script a little bit. I had told Professor R. Scott, when he asked me like, okay, what do you wanna do? Do you wanna get into the industry? This was like approaching my graduation time. And I said, I really wanna make wedding films. And you could see the disappointment wash over his face like ink on a white shirt. Like he was so disappointed. He was like, wedding films? And I was like, yeah, you know, they're beautiful. And they're like literally once in a lifetime thing. Like you can never recreate it. It's organic and it's run and gun and it's documentary style. And that's what I wanna do. I wanna make documentaries, but I also like want to do it in this beautiful way for weddings. And he was like, so you don't want to go into the industry, like the film industry. You just went through all those years of schooling to be a wedding videographer. And I was like, watch, like, just wait. I promise like what you're envisioning in your head is not what I have in my mind. And the goal of each film student, once they graduated and they were very open about this, the goal for each of their students was to get them into the industry, um, like out in LA or you know, working on film sets in Dallas or wherever they ended up going. It was to get them on film sets, right? So like we didn't ever do gimbal work or anything like that. It was sliders, dolly tracks, like we were working on like Aries, I'm pretty sure. Um, at one point I was working on my professor's red camera very much so film set geared program. A lot of lighting, stuff like that. Tons of lighting. And um, so to go from that teaching and to literally only take like a minuscule amount and put it into (laughs) my work today is very defeating, I'm sure. But honestly, when you think about it, I'm using my degree still. Um, Very much so I'm using my degree because I still use all of the terminology and all the knowledge that I learned on my wedding days or on my corporate shoots or whatever, you know? So 
they weren't training us for commercial gigs. They weren't training us for wedding work. They weren't training us for run and gun type stuff at all, at all. Like I remember Professor R. Scott would always say, don't ever shoot from the hip. Don't ever shoot from the hip. You better have it on a tripod. You better have it balanced, like very by the books for a film set. Um, And so I kind of walked in blind into the industry that you and I are in, Josh. I truly did. And I remember I downloaded another podcast or another online film school. I'm not going to name it here. I don't know if I'm allowed to. But I downloaded that after I graduated. And it truly helped me learn how to do weddings and real estate and how to actually use my 5D Mark IV, which is the camera that I was shooting on at the time, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the downside. I did pretty much have to self-teach after college for the industry that we're in, just not from the very beginning. I didn't have to start with something as small as what's a frame rate in comparison to shutter speed, in comparison to BT709, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think so. Your degree comes through a lot more than maybe even realize, though, because like I've hired a lot of people over the years, and you're the only one I've ever hired that has a degree in it. Most people I hire... Well, everybody but you um, is all self-taught for the most part, and I feel like there there's different levels of self of people who have been self-taught. There are people who just learn enough of the basics, and that's it. Then you have people you have people that learn a little bit more, and then you have people that and, and this is like a, the fewer amount of people, but you have a few people that give it everything they got and they learn as much as they possibly can. I'm one of those. I don't have a degree yeah. in it. But I'm the guy who literally every morning for the last 10 or 12 years, literally every morning, I get up and spend one to two hours reading about my craft yes. because I love it. And so I have a huge wealth of knowledge about this stuff, but it's only because I was dedicated enough to learn it. And there's not a lot of people that either go to film school or that are willing to dedicate the amount of time that I dedicated because I really wanted to know as much as I could. Yeah. And so when I work with other people, what I, what I usually see is when people will come on a project with me, they won't know, like they won't know anything about lighting. They'll just say, I'm a natural light shooter. I hear that Uh, all the time. uh. And when I hear that, that (laughs) means to me, when they say I'm a natural light shooter, that doesn't mean that your style to me, it doesn't mean that your style is natural light. It means that you don't know how to light. So that's your excuse, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, or people, you know, if I, if I ask them to, like, hey, like, I need let's let's go down a stop in Indy. They wouldn't ha- they wouldn't understand exactly what that means. Or if right. I asked them to set an exposure to certain IRE value or anything like that, they wouldn't have a clue as to what any of that means. When I work with you because of your background, you understand all that stuff, and so yeah. that's one of the reasons I love working with you. Is if I throw something at you, I know for a fact you're going to know what to do with that information. Or you might throw something at me. And I really, really like that because a lot of people who don't have the dedication that I had or that don't have the degree that you have, I feel like they just don't have the amount of experience or knowledge to be able to keep up with some of the more complicated projects, if that makes sense. Yes, makes total sense. I like how you kind of broke that down too. Like the people who are self-taught are self-taught. They know what they're going to know. And then you kind of have that middle tier of people, which is usually the people that you just hope to get above the lower tier people. I don't like using that term, it's so negative, but you get the middle tier people who they taught themselves what they taught. They're still keeping up um, and they know enough. They know enough to get us by, right? Like as our second shooters. And then there's people who are primarily first shooters like you and I. And 
I, for one, am never one to turn down a second shooting gig because I believe in constant learning. And it's super important to me to work with other people because that is how creativity works. Creativity is in our brains. And if you're not around somebody else to kind of bounce with, then that creativity is kind of wasted, you know, because how many things have you thought of that you want to make and you never did? I can think of at least 10 off the top of my head that I've written down in my notes app, right? So it helps to work with other creatives. So I have zero pride with working with other people or second shooting or whatever you want to call it because that is how I get better too. So selfishly, that's how I get better too is by working with people like you or people like myself who do have this, like you said, wealth of knowledge um, within this industry and... Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's important that we continue to collaborate. And I read something one time where it said like collaboration over or community over competition was the phrase community Mm -hmm. over competition. And that stuck with me. It really stuck with me. And I read that like years ago on Facebook group DFW click and moms or something or like maybe an (laughs) Instagram group, something like that. But somebody was saying, you know, we should take this weird clause out environment that we've created around photo video industry and change it from community or, you know, community over competition. And that kind of flipped something in me where I was like, you're right. I'm tired of rude industry people and I'm not going to be one. I want to be nice. I want to be somebody that somebody can come to and ask a question or if they want me to mentor them, I want them to be able to come to me and ask me that, you know? Um, so yeah, I really liked that phrase, community over competition. I don't even, I wouldn't even consider when you work with me on projects, you second shooting. I, I, I never even considered you being a second shooter, really. More whenever I brought you out, I felt like, I, I mean, I had, we had, wrote, I'm really big on script writing. That is one of my strengths. So I had a, an idea of what I wanted in a shot list, but to me, you weren't even second shooting. You were there to just, you had as much creative control as I did. I wanted you to have as much control and much creative freedom or input as you wanted to have. Because I feel like someone like you, for me, when I bring someone like you on, I'm not just looking for you to just grab a camera and do what you're told. I want to bring you on because you have different thoughts than I do. You have different ideas than I'm just one person. I might have like, like, dude, we sat there at dinner time on the second day (laughs) and we're like brainstorming how we were going to figure out the whole photo thing, which yeah. was the, the photo collage, which was actually the most important part of the whole project. I know. And it dawned on us in the middle of dinner. And it's something right. that we both kind of avoided talking about because I think we both didn't know how we were going to like do it. No. How it was going to come together. No, but we sat there over a couple of drinks and then we yeah. figured it out. And, right. and it worked out great. My editor's already been working with it. And he's like, dude, it worked out perfect. I'm like, Good. thank you. But oh, I mean, <laughs> but that's that's the whole point is I like bringing on if I'm going to work with someone like you, I want to bring you on because I'm looking for creative input. I'm looking for your perspective. Yes. And so I think the one thing that your degree has really given you is it's given you a perspective that I feel a lot of people today don't have because they either don't go to school to get a formal degree or they don't have any sort of training or they're not willing to put the time in to learn it. Right. And that, yeah, you know what? You're right. It, I can't attribute my collaborative effort um, that I put into every single project that I work on, whether it's collaboration with another, like with you, or if it's a collaboration with a client, 
that collaborative effort definitely comes from film school. I did not, I was not a group working person when I went to film school. I was probably the worst person to be put in a group with because I was like, everyone here is stupid. I got it. Like I was very much so like, (laughs) I can, if you want something done right, you do it yourself, right? I had to completely flip that script in my mind and I was so stubborn and it took me so long to realize like trust, just trust. And if you find in the end that you cannot trust that person after you work with them, you don't have to use them again, you know? So I do think that there is a level of trust that happens within people that you work with, like you bringing me on for the first time. You didn't know. Like, I could have showed up and just been a total numbskull. Like, I could have just not known anything despite a film degree. And because we were able to collaborate and we saw how each other worked and how our minds kind of worked the collaboration and trust was there from there on out. So any Mm. project that you and I work on now, I know that I can come to you about anything related to it and trust that there's going to be this collaboration that's level-headed, even-keeled. You know, it's going to be a positive and healthy bounce back of ideas, you know? 100%. That's actually one of the reasons I'm super stoked that you're moving down the Austin area because most of my clients are in the Austin-San Antonio area. And I'm like, man... I got, I got my person now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, it's, it's incredible. The, like the response I've gotten from people for moving down there, yes. um, Philip. So Philip danger films is my roommate who I'll be moving in with. And so he was actually one of my mentors back in the day. He and his wife used to own a wedding filmmaking company. Now it's under his name. And, um, they brought me on as the third shooter in that I remember this wedding was like big time. I was used to shooting, God, what was I charging for wedding films? Like 1800 bucks at the time. And I remember this wedding had like 30 bridesmaids, 30 groomsmen. It was in Fort Worth. (laughs) It was at the Fort Worth Kimball Art Museum, like big time, really grandiose wedding. And it was my first high budget wedding that I've ever worked on. And I just remember falling in love all over again. I was like, this is what I want to do. This reiterates the fact that I am here to continue to get better at this. And my $1,800 weddings back then have now turned into my price scale now. And um, he, yeah, he really drove the vehicle for me in terms of being a better wedding filmmaker. Um, So we're super excited to live together because we have all these content ideas that we want to make. He's already written a script that he's been trying to film for the last year, and we we plan on doing it in the fall. And he has so many creative friends that he's introduced me to. God bless him. Like, I'm sure he's going to be so annoyed with me becoming friends with all of his friends. But we're super pumped about being able to just create. I'm so excited to be able to just wake up and say, hey, I have this thing in my brain and I can't get it out and I really (laughs) want to get it onto a screen. Can you go with me down to the river really quick? Like, just trust me. Like, you just need to, can we just get on a kayak? (laughs) Like, you know. (laughs) Oh, and you mentioned the river and that's the other thing, right? So like this whole area, this hill country area, there's so many beautiful places to shoot. I mean, so many. We, I was filming mainly in Round Rock this week. And the amount of gorgeous places, what we found hidden in Round Rocks, just unbelievable. Yeah. Literally, literally wagon wheels fossilized in creek beds. I'm like, what yeah. the heck? I mean, it's just so pretty. Such a gorgeous area for that. It looks like it's out of a movie. And it does. Dan- Daniel Kim, who I consider one of my mentors, um, <clears throat> Daniel Kim Photo, he's out of he's based out of Arizona. He will come to Austin a lot to shoot and um, to shoot weddings. Weddings is his niche, and he only does photo. And 
he posted something a long time ago, multiple years ago, and it was a picture of just the Texas Hill Country of like a tree, like on his iPhone, he was location scouting. And he said, man, there's just something different about that, you know, central Texas light, like something's different about it. And then I saw something else where somebody was like, it's the limestone, it's the limestone, the reflective limestone, it looks so good on skin. That's so like, funny. Yes, I never would have thought of that. The energy and the light and just the way that like all the cedar trees, all the limestone, everything comes together in unity and it's beautiful down there. Once you hit central, the spots that you can find are seriously otherworldly. I'm I'm so excited to be immersed in that because I'm a little explorer. I like to location scout in very dangerous places. So I'm sure <laughs> I'll be I'll be in some questionable places at some point. <laughs> Man, yeah, I was waiting like up to my chest almost carrying my camera gear to get some shots the other day. And I was like, God, please don't step in a hole. Please don't step in a hole because me and all the gear are going to be gone. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so scary. Yeah. What were you shooting the other day? What was that project for? Um, we're working on a, uh, a fly fishing film. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I, hence the water. So we've been like kind of going all over different parts of text, like the Texas Hill Country for this project and interviewing people oh. and filming a lot of fly fish stuff. It's really cool. That's going to um, be good. I'll have to watch yeah. that when it's done. Yeah, it's it's going to be really cool. Um, one challenge, though, about the rivers and stuff here, though, that I have, and you're, you're going to run into this, is, man, a lot of the greens are so reflective that sometimes I have to take that out of people's skin tones. And I can only imagine a wedding dress, a white wedding dress with that reflective green bouncing on it. Yep. <laughs> you're going to have to work on that. Yeah. I was just talking to um, Joshua All, <clears throat> and he is based here out of Dallas. Um, he's an incredible wedding photographer. He and his wife have been wedding photographers for years now. And I sometimes check second shoot with him. And we have a wedding at Arlington Hall tomorrow, actually. So the guys are getting ready at um, Turtle Creek, which is like this beautiful old historic hotel and restaurant here in Dallas. And he said, hey, whenever you're doing the guy's portraits, do me a favor, keep them off the freaking grass. Please keep them off the grass. Because (laughs) everybody knows the second that you put somebody on grass, it's just going to reflect up and it's going to be yellow. And then yes. if you ever try to like play with the sliders a little bit to bring your yellows back to orange or your greens more yellow slash orange, you know, whatever you're trying to do with your sliders to change that, you're just going to change the color of the grass too because that's what you're playing with is that mm-hmm. surface and then it's just reflected. So it's a pain and that's why, you know what else I hate? <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with fall foliage because the second that you get somebody out into fall foliage in Texas at least, the grass is still green and the trees are all orange. So the reflection <laughs> yeah. of light, you have to find a perfect spot. Otherwise, you're just dealing with a horror story of skin tones and post-production. Yeah, so and you have to I like know, mask them out in post and then just yes. change out the mask. And that's just a dis- disaster. It's a disaster. So I would yeah. much rather just find a location where yeah. maybe the grass is covered in neutral colored leaves or even if it's like asphalt or something, you know, and then the trees are just set up behind them because that is just a nightmare in editing and post-production. Like whenever I do fall minis, like fall mini sessions every fall where I have like families come through and it's like a 15 minute session, I have to find a guaranteed spot where I'm not going to have to deal with that family after family. I mean, that could be 10 to 15 families that I'm sitting there and dealing with that then in post-production. And it just puts me so far behind um, in my delivery times because I'm sitting there having to struggle with this (laughs) skin tone problem. So yeah, that's, it it is a thing. And people don't think about that if you're not us, you know, if you're not holding a camera. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so there's this guy in the filming with Josh group um, who recently, is a friend of mine, recently asked in the group, in the real world, can you actually really notice the difference between 8-bit video and 10-bit? And for me, like a great time, a great example of where the 10-bit comes into play is when you're having to change skin tones and only skin tones oh. in a situation like like we just discussed, because if you're on 8-bit, you might see banding in the skin tones when you're trying, or break, where the where it breaks, you know, you see that blockiness yeah. when the image starts yeah. to break. So if you have 10-bit or higher imagery, you can, or like 12 or 16-bit raw, you can adjust those skin tones without adjusting the grass and have a less chance of the image breaking. So right. that's um, one of the reasons why I like 10-bit or higher cameras, especially where we live, where you have a lot of that reflective greens and, yet, and oranges and right. things that you might have to fix in post. Yeah, so you're on Sony, right? I am, yeah. Okay, so what's like your main go-to body or two bodies that you're on? So for video, it's going to be the FX6 and FX3. But I shoot photography on the Sony A1s mainly. Yes, okay, gotcha. So I'm on, I'm Canon, I'm a Canon shooter and a dedicated Canon shooter that almost fell to Sony in the last 12 months, (laughs) mainly because of the overheating problem. Um, Yes, that is an issue. Geez, I have a stipulation with Canon and a bone to pick with them. I swear, I <laughs> almost sold all of my gear last summer during the Texas heat. I mean, mm-hmm. Texas Yeah, it's heat. a thing for us, man. It's a thing. And people still have outdoor weddings, right? So I'm setting up my R5, I'm setting up my R6, and then I have my backup 5D Mark IV at a ceremony that's outdoors. It doesn't matter if it's shaded. If there is not cold air blasting those cameras, they would time out very quickly. Sure. Sure. And so... I was so sick of it. I was so tired. And the second shooter that I hired, who was, oh, it was Phil. He shoots Sony. And he had no problems with overheating all day long. I was like, gosh dang it. Like, I'm going to go over <laughs> Sony. Screw Canon. Da, 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 da. You know, I got on my rampage about it and did a lot of research for two months straight. As soon as I was about to go over, Canon released the firmware update. And I have had zero problems since. Not That's one great. problem. And R6 also had overheating problems. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. It overheated for me personally many times. And they released the firmware update for that. That fixed that problem. But yeah, there was a year there where I was so <laughs> over it. I mean, you pay, how much did I pay for the R5? Like $4,500 or mm-hmm. something around that something price. Like that, for, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this nearly $5,000 camera is not even able to record for 12 minutes in 4K, 60 frames per second. That's sad. Like... I was using my 5D Mark IV in place of it. That's bad, you know? Um, but I and love it now. When you're on a paid shoot, like, you can't have that happen. You cannot have that happen. I mean, literally, time is money in a lot of industries. But our industry, for sure, we're literally chasing the sun. So time is money, for sure. And mm-hmm. you cannot have equipment that is going to be letting you down time and time again. You just can't have that. Well, I can only um, imagine for you if you're filming, like, a wedding ceremony and they were at the altar and your camera overheats. That happened to me last year. I was pissed. Like that's what sent me over the edge. And I looked at Phil and I like did a hand motion. You know, we have our Mm. hand motions that we do. And I was like, it's overheated. Like go, like go up there and record because my camera is not going to record. And the only solution was to change it to 1080. So, and obviously I'm not going to shoot anything in 1080. I don't want to do that on a wedding day. Like I, I, I can't wanna... even remember the last time I shot 1080. No, like I want to be in 4K. I was like, it's 2022, Canon. Get your shit together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. But um, yeah, I stayed true. The firmware update came out and everything was fine after that. But man, rough year. Rough year for Canon. 
Yeah, one thing. So my my FX six and my FX three they have built in fans, so that really helps. Yes. So if if any it gets really hot, I I really don't have to worry about it because they're right. keeping the camera bodies c- cool. My A ones have overheated though because they're weather sealed and they shoot eight K. And yes. if you're shooting eight K for an extended period of time where we live, they can o- overheat at some point. Does it shoot eight K at sixty? Only thirty. Only thirty. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I think that the R five. C, is, the R5C, I think. The R5C does. can do 8K at 60, yeah. Wait, can the R... I can't remember if the R5 can or cannot. The R5C. I think, I think it's just the R5C. Yeah, it is just yeah. the R5C. But it takes like a, a special source of power to be able to do it, though. Yes, yeah, so you have to like plug yeah. something into it. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was just the R5C, now that you say that. I had to think about that for a second. Yeah, because the R5 can do 8K... D and 8KU at 30 frames only. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly shooting on 4K IPB compressed at 60 frames mm. per second for all of my weddings. And I actually just yesterday was talking to Phil about this and we were talking about um, VT709 versus 2020 versus Cinema Gamu because depending on like what camera you're on, if you're on Sony versus Canon or Nikon, whatever you're on, for canon he was like you might as well just go to cinema but then i kind of played around with it and i did some test shots in 709 versus 2020 versus cinema and i honestly liked 2020 more um the greens in the cinema were super warm and my lutz i use a lumi lutz i don't know if you're familiar with a lumi I'm but not. i use their lutz i got them two or three years ago they've been stellar there's no point in changing or buying more if they work great so I've just been using those and those cool all of my greens down. And so I didn't want it to be like this, you know, going back and forth thing with all yeah. of my films. I wanted a sense of consistency and cinema was literally turning my greens like so warm and so yellow orange. So I'm sticking with 2020 for now. Do you have opinions on this? Like, do you stick to one versus another? Yeah, man, I only shoot in two, two things. I shoot either 100% log or yeah, I always sh- log. If I- if I'm not shooting in log, and that's Sony S-Log, but if I'm not shooting in log, I shoot in, Sony has this profile now called S-Cinetone. So if I'm shooting to Rec. 709, I'll shoot to that. I'm Like I'm live streaming. We've got a, a three-day live stream event next week. I've hired a crew for it. Mm-hmm. And um, all of our cameras are going to be shooting S-Cinetone because it's live stream, obviously. We need color, don't want to be right. log. But it looks yeah. beautiful. So from the Sony world, it's just S-Log3 or it's S-Cinetone. That's really the only two that I go to. If it's gotcha. if it needs if it's going broadcast or if there's going to be no editing really done, Rec. 709 and going with yeah. S-Cinetone. Everything else I do, S-Log3. And it nice. looks great. But And I don't really use LUTs anymore. Ever since I switched to Resolve, I use the Color Manage workflow. And so you just plug in what your output color space is going to be. And it auto-converts your log to a Rec. 709 look. And it's better right. than any LUT I've ever looked at. And so I love it. It gives me a lot of latitude. So I, I just work with the color managed within Resolve. This works nice. Great. Okay, yeah. So yeah. how's Resolve treating you? I want to know. I'm still Amazing. in Final Cut Pro and I want to switch so bad, but I just haven't had like a debt in time to do it. <laughs> Dude, it's so awesome. So like, for example, I was on that uh, fly fishing film shoot and we had a shoot last Friday. It went to like mm-hmm. 1 a.m. And we were able to shoot certain shots like we have this opening shot that's like 15 seconds long it's a continuous sliding opening shot Mm. and we're able to pull that up in resolve on my ipad pro review the footage in resolve color managed see the log footage color managed and so you know we were able to look at it with color and everything and save it and then when i get home to my office the next day 
it saves in the cloud. So the next day I can get on my office and pull up on my computer the same shot, the same files, the same everything right there on my computer and pick up where I left off from on set. And, and the client to, knows what it looks like too. And the client so. knows what it looks like because we're looking at it on my iPad Pro. We just plug it straight in the iPad Pro with a card reader and look at it right there in Resolve and know exactly is it going to fit is it is it exactly like what we're looking for? Is everything look exactly like it needs to look? Or do we need to make changes? And we can figure that out right then and there. And yeah. then save save whatever we did. So I know that when I got back home, it's all I know it's picking up where I left off. And that workflow right. is amazing. That is so helpful. But you cut on Final Cut, and Final Cut just came out with an iPad app. So you could do something similar. Oh, good to know. I just, yeah, okay, just ever came since out you told a few weeks me- ago. Ever since you told me about the, um, I'm blanking on the term, but words whenever they, oh, are the like transcribing CC. feature, transcribing, yes, dude, the it's transcribing amazing. feature was very attractive to me because I do a lot of talking heads, mm-hmm. and you know, people look at me right now. I'm a talker. I word vomit, right? <laughs> so the last thing that you want to sit there and do is type out a transcript for somebody to send back exactly the bits that you need to edit in. And mm-hmm. my poor clients, I mean, for the last however many years. They would go through, they would listen to every single thing, time code, put the golden nugget that they want to put in there. And I mean, these were like 30 minute, 45 minute long interviews, you know? So the transcribing feature is very attractive to me and will be very attractive to my clients whenever I switch over for sure. So check this out. So I shot, um, we had a 16 hour shoot day a couple months back for one of my larger clients. And we shot these 10 interviews with 10 different employees, 10 different locations or all within like one building, but 10 different sets. It's a really long day. And all the interviews are like 30 minutes long. So what is that? 30 minute long interviews times 10. I don't know. What is that? Five hours or something worth of footage. So on every interview, we knew that National Best Friends Day was coming up uh, on June 8th, which was yesterday. And the client said, hey, while we have these 10 employees here, we want to ask each of the, because we flew them all down from different states. And we said, we want to ask, before we wrap up any of their interviews, we want to ask all of them who their Sam, Sam is the name of the company, who their Sam Bestie is for National Best Friends Day. And we'll make like a little video we'll put on LinkedIn, like my best, my Sam Bestie is so-and-so, my Sam Bestie is so-and-so, just like a fun little minute or two long video. Well, I gave that to my editor and I said, hey, we need this Sam Bestie video. Can you make it for me? Well, my editor would have had to go through five hours of interviews just to find them saying who their Sam Bestie is. And think about how excruciating that would have been. But instead, he's able to put all of those interviews onto a timeline, transcribe it in like two or three minutes. Yeah. And then in a little search bar at the top of the transcription, he types in Sam Bestie and it highlights in the timeline all the places Sam Bestie's mentioned. So he goes in and out, cut, cut, in and out, cut, cut. And literally in less than 10 minutes, he had the entire five hours worth of interviews for 10 different people chopped up onto, into a 60 second video. Oh <laughs> my God. The I dream. literally saved him days of work. The dream. And it's here. It's the not dream. even a dream. It's real life. It's and real life. And I haven't switched because I hate myself, apparently. I, <laughs> I don't know why I haven't switched yet. You know, you get so stuck in workflow. You get so stuck in one workflow. Yeah, because and it's it scary easy. to change. It's so scary to change. And it's so it's such an adjustment. And I think with moving in three weeks, too, it's just too much for my brain to be able to take on right now. But I'm hoping... In coming to Austin and working with more people like you more often, it 
will make me want to do that. It will, I'm getting uncomfortable anyway. I might as well just like change everything. Go I'm going to be in a totally it. different space. <laughs> like I might as well change my workflow too, you know? Um, I don't know what your, what's your knowledge in photo? Are you like, like with post-production and photo, what's your, um, I guess your workflow, um, what's your post-production look like for photography? Because I know you yeah. do some photo work. I do some photo work. Most of my photo work is going to be either business related or it's going to be, um, like outdoor lifestyle, like fly fishing type stuff. Um, that's just the stuff I'm interested in. Yeah. But and, and business for I do business photography as well. And my my post workflow is I go straight to Lightroom for everything, yeah. and I handle 100 of it in Lightroom. I tried yeah. Capture One once because I've heard a lot of good okay. things about it, but I just the workflow in Lightroom just makes so much sense for me, and yeah. so I just stick with it. And the integration with Lightroom and Photoshop too, you can't. Can't substitute in capture one um do you use profiles do you use any presets i do use i do use some so it depends on what it is um my wife i know edits a lot with these presets called g presets mm -hmm. they're pretty good um I've, I've dabbled in them some she's way better at working with those particular ones than i am yeah. um, i like how did you get it to look like that because i can't figure <laughs> that out but <laughs> but i i work with um i can't even remember the name of the presets goodness gracious I can't even remember, but I do work with some, but I don't remember the names. Yeah. So I'm considering right now switching over to profiles. I don't know if you've heard of the archetype process. Or so the, something like, similar. So I work with cobalt profiles, which are kind of similar. Oh, okay. So I've been working with, and I love them, Kindred. I don't know if you've heard of the company Kindred presets, but mm -hmm. they have launched over the years so many incredible packs. And um, I used to be on like Kindred Fall before um kindred spring kindred summer like all that stuff and most recently they might have they might have dropped one more recently than this but sometime in the last year they dropped the mary costa preset pack which exploded it was so big everyone loved it i downloaded it i bought it i loved it i'm still using it right now but in terms of continuity and consistency in my work it can be a little bit difficult using presets because profiles, I've heard, I don't know this for a fact, I've yeah. heard they go based off skin tone. And that's what I need more of because all of our clients, Josh, oh my God, the wide array of skin tones that we have, I can not imagine. a single one is the same. And so working with Mary Costa, I'm sitting there constantly having to drag those sliders to get the skin tones exactly where I want them, mm -hmm. despite the preset looking great in one click. But you have to make it your own. And yeah. you know, I do my magic sauce with every preset that I've used in the past to make it ACV and to make it my style and make it the thing that the people see that they're like, I want that, I want that wedding photographer. Like, I like how this looks, you know? Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to see if you had an opinion on presets versus profiles. Yeah. I'm considering dumping the money into profiles just because I think Daniel Kim uses them and um, he has spoken very highly about them over the last few years, so. Here's my biggest thing about um, presets because everybody has presets they like or that they buy or ever, it seems like everybody sells presets too. Oh, my yeah. thing about presets though is they're not, they're usually not camera specific. Mm -hmm. So how they're going to play on your R5 versus my A1, for example, is going to be completely different. It's not, to me, it's not a one click works all 
for all right. cameras. And Absolutely so not. I it, when I do look at presets for them, I know my wife really likes G presets, which are kind of generic, but she's got a workflow that works for her. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But right. for me personally, if I'm going to buy a preset or a profile, it's got to be camera specific. And it's got to be yeah. something that I know was created with my camera in mind because I, at that point, know that the colors are going to work well with my cameras. Because if it's generic, right. it's gonna. they might have made it they might be Fuji shooters who made it and it's yeah. not going to look good on my camera. It doesn't mean it doesn't look good. It's just not going to look good on my camera without a lot of fiddling. And I don't, the whole point of a preset is to take the fiddling out. And yep. so there is a company called Cobalt that I actually really like. I think it's Cobalt with a C or a K. Okay. I can't remember. I'll have to look but that up. Yeah, it's really cool. So they, every time a camera comes out, they'll spend months working with that camera on color charts and they will learn the colors of that specific camera and then you can purchase different packs like if i wanted my a1 to look like your r5 i could right. purchase r an r5 pack and what it does is, it, is it's an a1 design r5 profile or yeah. Yeah, profile that plugs into lightroom and so when i click on the profile it's not it's not a look it's a profile when i click on the profile right. it converts my a1 footage to look or photos to look like it might have been shot on r5 for example right. or if there's a certain film stock you like that you can emulate that as well but it's all designed based off of your particular camera and i found i really like that yeah, see, that's the thing with profiles is when, so your wife, we shot together on a wedding that I had over a year ago, and which, thank God for Andy, oh my gosh, she came in so clutch for me that day, um, but she was shooting on one of your Sonys, yes, and yeah. I went to go slap my presets on there, and this has happened to me many, many, many times because I don't just work with Canon shooters, I work with Nikon, Sony, Fuji, I work with all different kinds of shooters You out don't there. discriminate. <laughs> Right. Don't, I don't. I never say like preferably Canon because like I'm going to get what I'm going to get. If you're talented with, with whatever camera brand you have, I don't care. I just need your talent and your time and your energy. And, um, you know, she showed up and I, I slapped that preset on her stuff and it looked like dog crap. I was like, no, I forgot she was shooting Sony, which is no big deal. But the fiddling with it to match with R5. Oh, God. God, it was really, really hard. And you see, with the cobalt time, imagery, you could have gotten it to look really similar, right? To off be the with the R5, and then yeah. I could work based off that. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. so, like, I recently bought a Fujifilm um, X100V. I finally snuck one into my arsenal. Oh, you bought you bought one. I Good finally got one, and I love that thing. It is my little secret weapon. Oh my God, Josh, <laughs> I can I can go on for days talking about that thing. But I waited like 14 months because it was on back order because people realized, oh, this is a digital camera that looks like film. It is literally the most similar to film emulation that you can get. And I consider myself a pretty strong shooter, but this thing is whooping my butt. It is so <laughs> hard. It is, first of all, all of the setting screens, Japanese to me. It's like relearning a, it's like relearning photography, honestly. <laughs> um, and then I shoot in like color chrome, which is one of the set in color chrome, right? Which is one of like the profile settings that you can put on the camera to emulate film. And then I'm working within those profiles now in Lightroom because you can go through and you can add the profile. So instead of like Adobe RGB or Mary Costa, mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. I just put it as Fuji color chrome. And the photo is actually how it looks straight out of camera. So what you yeah. shoot in camera is what you're going to get in post. Yeah, yeah. And that's been amazing. So if I can crack down on my, because my gallery delivery time right now, I think is 12 to 16 weeks for wedding photos. So if I can crack down on that delivery time and get it to like eight to 12 weeks turnaround time for my clients, 
that would be even better, obviously. So profiles, I feel like are gonna be able to do that for me, which is why I'm considering archetype pre, um, profiles, um, which is why I asked you about what your post-production looks like. Cause I know you're heavier in video than photo, but I do so much photo work and I'm always looking for ways to work smarter instead of harder. So yeah, profiles, man, they're underrated. I feel like I'm, all, I'm about ready to take the plunge and buy them. Yeah, I like profiles too because you can, once you like click on one, I'm pretty sure if I, I'm, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head because I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure when you click on one, it, it auto does it for the entire gallery, which is like yeah. really nice because you, you're you're basically selecting, it's kind of like in video because you're right, I am more video oriented, but like in video, you can say, hey, I want everything to be in like Rec. 709. Well, in, in here, you're picking the color space. Instead of Adobe RGB, you're picking picking, you know, right. whatever cobalt or whatever the arc ones that you mentioned. Yeah. And that's kind of just a cool way to work and a fast yeah. way to work. Much faster. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to, it's things like the DaVinci Resolve, you know, updates and things that they're releasing right now that just saves us and our clients so much time um, yeah. and energy in the back end work. And I think it's so important to continue to find ways to work smarter and not harder, especially in our industry where things used to take, what? three months to turn around a video. I mean, how long did you used to wait for something to render and premiere? I used to have to yeah. wait eight to nine hours for yeah, like awful. a three minute long video, you know? Um, and that was only under 10 years ago, probably. So yeah, things are moving quick um, and advancing very quickly. Yeah, I uh, I dumped the other day, my drives in, uh, are so fast that the other day, I think I dumped five terabytes from one drive to another and it took it like six minutes. That's it was incredible. Like, it was nuts. To dump five the... terabytes a long time ago would have taken me an eternity. <laughs> oh, yeah. Were you on like a Thunderbolt 3? What, what were you transferring? Thunderbolt, like how... I run Thunderbolt 3 or 4, but I, I run RAIDs, RAID drives. Oh, that's and, right. You um, have RAIDs. Yeah. I have RAIDs, and so I can go for – and my, my, my laptop's internal memory. I have eight terabytes of storage on my laptop internally. Oh, wow. So I can take projects on the road with me. But right. It, but it's so fast. The drives are so fast on my on my computer and so fast on my raids that when I come home, I can dump from one or the other in like seconds. It's insane. Are you on a PC or are you on a Mac? What do you want? Mac, man. Mac. I was I've about got to say. The, I have the most specced out MacBook Pro you can buy. Like if you went on Apple and you literally checked all the add-ons, mine is literally the most specced out one. You have eight terabytes in that thing? Eight terabytes. It's insane. Jesus. What's your RAM? What's like your RAM and your GPU on that thing? Yeah, uh, so the RAM, <laughs> at the when I bought mine, I think the new one just came out, but when I bought mine, the fully loaded RAM was 64 gigs, but 64 gigs, it's yeah. unified memory, which is basically, if you compare it, via traditional RAM, it's like the equivalent yeah. of 128 gigs of traditional RAM. Jeez. So it's like a lot. Because um, unified memory is much faster than regular RAM. So it's about the equivalent of 128 gigs of traditional RAM. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, the eight terabytes amazing. I could take a project with me on the road and, and work on it on the road and See, that's awesome. so nice. I have so many photographers, um, friends who they see my collection of five terabyte hard drives because they're cheap and they work well for me. They're not sure. the fastest things on earth, but at my budget where I'm at, that's mm -hmm. what I can afford. And I have like probably 40 of the five terabyte hard drives sitting <laughs> yeah. around me as we speak. Like I'm looking at all of them and, um, People are always like, why don't you just get like the SSD, like one terabyte? And I'm like, if I were just photo, that'd be a great solution. But unfortunately, you're talking to a hybrid shooter and five terabytes for me fills up in, I don't know, probably like a month for me mm -hmm. because I'm working on wedding films and I'm working in IPB compressed. I'm not working in like AK stuff. So if I were doing any of the stuff that you were doing with photo combination, oh my God, like 
insane amounts of memory would need to be purchased. Yeah. So, so to put it in perspective, I'm getting ready to build four 160 terabyte RAID drives. So they're going to be um, A, B, A, B. So it's really going to be, th- it's going to be 300 and what is that? 320 terabytes of duplicate storage is what it's going to be. Oh my God. So you have like 160A, 160B, and then another 160A and 160B. And so the 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 last A and the B, those are just backups to the first A and yeah, B. Yeah. So you right, have like yeah. one A, one B, two A, two B. So one A, you I can put something on one A and it auto backs it up on one B. And then when that one fills up, I can start moving stuff over to two A, which will auto back up to two B. So if one ever fries, you How much does something like that cost? What can somebody not to spend as on bad that? as it sounds? Can but I you guess? Can, yeah, okay. Two thousand. So to build one one sixties, four grand. So I'm going to drop 16 grand. I'm not, not at the moment cause I'm about to have another baby in a week, yeah. but that's, I'm going to, I'm going to try to build my first two this year and the next two the following year. That's my goal. So I think it's important to talk price when we don't have to get into this right now, but I think it's really important to talk about the money spent on the gear that we get because mm. the pushback in price of what we do is constant sure. and I don't get it very often anymore. I noticed it when I was in a lower budget range because you know, that's just the nature of it. The higher you get, the less questions you get. And that's just what I've experienced. But I think it's important for people to know like, hey, if you want if you want a solid product and you want to work with a solid person and you want to guarantee that you're going to get something really good in return for what you're paying for, just know like you're funding your own, like you're funding what gives you that. Um, you're not just paying us for our time, talent and everything. Like you're paying for the things that keep your project going like a crazy fast, you know, 160 terabyte backup, (laughs) backup, 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 um, that will cost close to 20 K. So yeah, I think it's important that people know there's a reason we charge what we do. We're not just doing it because we're cocky assholes. You know, we're, Mm -hmm. we're charging because we know what the product that you're getting is worth. Um, and that's, I think it's important to talk about that, especially in our industry, because people do get a lot of pushback because it's not, it's not a necessary, what we offer is not necessary. It's not a need. Um, even though it's I believe sometimes it is, it is a luxury and it's a want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's important that people know, know stuff like that for sure. Yeah. I had a podcast episode a couple years back, two, three years ago, uh-huh. that was, um, why videos cost so much. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked recently to do a new one of those. In fact, my last episode or one of my last episodes was how to price your work. And it's the second time I've done that one. I did like an, I did one four years ago, so I just redid it. But yeah. I am about to redo a why videos cost so much podcast episode because I just feel like it really is important for people to understand why. I mean, I we're talking about like $16,000 just in, just in storage drives, you know what I yeah. mean? And they're fast. But like one thing that I charge, I actually charge my clients a storage a storage space fee. I charge them yeah. per terabyte so that always round it up to the nearest terabyte so that they have the peace of mind of knowing that I'm always and forever going to have right. backup copies of everything they do. So if I have a client that calls me and says, hey, remember that project we shot four years ago? Can we take some of that footage and make a new 30 second oh, ad yeah. for it? No problem. I still have it. I have everything. You have them pay for that up front, which is really important um, because I have, whenever people ask me for archived footage, um, I have them pay a back-end fee. So if they want me to pull up whatever they need me to pull up, I just charge an archival fee, um, depending on the amount that it is and what it is. Um, 
So it's smart that you have them pay for that up front because they're kind of, it's like getting it out of the way. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people have a problem with charging people up front for things. Me personally, I have this problem. I have really crazy bad imposter syndrome and I feel bad for charging people for things that seem unnecessary but are absolutely so necessary to charge for. So yeah, I think it'd be good to to do that podcast again. Um, I think it'd be really beneficial for people like me to listen to that and remember why, you know, why we charge what we charge. Yeah. And I think that like things like archival fees, for example, I I just think they the client, if they do even if they don't understand it now, one day they will because it's not, and it's not that expensive. I, I charge like fifty bucks a terabyte or something, so right. it's not that bad. But it over time, if I have fifty bucks a terabyte times a hundred terabytes, I don't know how much that is off the top of my head. But right. you know what I mean? Like it's what is five thousand? Five thousand. I think it's five thousand. Yeah. Why it matters? Yeah, it's five thousand because you bring. 5, well, you didn't sleep last night. I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So no, but like over time, if you have, if you do, if you charge for a hundred terabytes, it's five thousand dollars. That just paid for a hundred sixty terabyte raid drive, right. right? By charging fifty dollar terabyte archival fee for my clients per right. terabyte. And but the thing is, is for them, that's really not like if if their project eats up three terabytes, what does that cost? One hundred fifty dollars. They right. pay it now. But then five years from now, they can rest assured knowing I still have everything. And I've yep. pulled up tons of times. I've pulled up clients, uh, projects for clients and, and done other things with their content. I do it all the time. And it's great for me if I want to make a reel or something too. Right. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I think that's really smart. Back on to kind of get close to wrapping up this podcast on the topic of film school. Yes. Recommendations. You think people should do it? or not do it? What's the pros and cons? And what kind of person is a good fit for film school? If I could go back and make the decision on whether or not to do it, I would I would do it. Uh, but that's just based off my experience and my experience alone. I think if you have this undying drive and this relentless passion in you and you want to be with like-minded people without having to sift through society to find them. Um, film school is going to be a really good option for you. This is assuming that you're able to financially and you're able-bodied to and everything. Um, it was expensive. I mean, I I racked up like sixty thousand in student loan debt after my student um, or after my college fund ran out. Ran out, and I think that. Let's just assume somebody's financially able to do so, money aside. I wouldn't change a thing. It gave me so many opportunities and it opened so many doors for me that I never could have gotten without it. Um, and I have so many mentors now in the form of old professors who I can go to about literally anything. Um, I mean, anything like, hey, I'm slow in work. Do you have anything that I can help you on? Like, do you have a project I can help you on? Hey, I have a really big shoot coming up. I need your help on it. Um, hey, I have a question. I can't remember the name of that, you know. So it's literally built-in mentors because you paid them to teach you for four years straight. So the connections made are obviously also individualized. And I say that in a term of like, it is what you make it. So yes, film school was really, really difficult. But by the end of it, I was so grateful to have poured myself into it as much as I did. Um, it's not for the impatient. 
I was very impatient. It was very difficult for me because I'm just a very impatient person. It's not for the impatient people. I will say that it was really hard for that because you had to spend so long on films and lessons and different things that you just didn't give a shit to learn about. Um, but looking back, I'm so glad that I did. I'm glad I really absorbed all that knowledge. So I would say it's worth it, but it's not for everybody. And I understand that. Um, and I value that. If you don't go to film school and you come out unscathed like you in the industry that we're in, go you. But I think that it's definitely a rarity. Um, but you also have to remember, I think that there's a very low employment rate in our industry of people who went to film school. That's something they reiterated time and time again in school was the employment rate after school within the industry is not very high. And it's true. I've seen a lot of my colleagues go on to do things totally out of the film realm. And that's great for them. They're happy. Like they're doing jobs that fulfill them and that's great. And then I have a select handful of people that I see still on social media who are working on film sets and they love it. They love what they do. Some of them might be just barely scraping by financially because they're selling themselves to the industry, but they love it. And at the end of the day, they wouldn't change a thing. And then I have some friends. I just met up with one. He is working on the set of Yellowstone. He worked on the set of Yellowstone up in Montana, Montana for like the last year or two. And he loved it. He was like, um, he was like the production coordinator. So yeah, the employment, yeah, the employment rate outside of film school is low within industry, within industry. That's important to say everybody is pretty much employed, but the amount of industry based people is low. And I think that's important to remember that film school doesn't guarantee you a film job. Um, So I didn't get out of school thinking I'm going to have a film job because I went to film school. Um, I have a job in this industry because I was relentless and I worked really hard and I wanted it really bad and I have remained hungry. And I just think it's really important for people to know that before they go in thinking it's a guaranteed thing because it's not. You have to work just as hard. You're fed knowledge, um, you're force-fed knowledge more so than it would be to learn on your own time and on your own terms, but that would be the the upside to that. So, yeah, film school, it, it goes person to person, I think. Yeah, I think, so I have a friend named Hannah Patton who um, was, do you know Hannah Patton? That sounds so familiar. So yes. she was in school same time as me. She was studied film school at SFA like you yes. and was there 2010 through 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would have left right around when you were starting. Um, but Hannah, I know that Hannah, she she did, went through the whole program, but went on to be, I think, an art teacher. I don't know what she's doing now, but I know for a yeah. while she was teaching like art at a, at a school. And it's not a knock against her or anything, but it's just backs up your point that just because you go and get a film degree does not mean that you're guaranteed a job in the industry. And I think to get a job in the industry, you have to really be hungry. And yeah, like I I know a guy that literally every day called and asked if he could even just buy coffee for a production that was happening locally. And finally one day they were so annoyed with him. They're like, fine, you can come buy us some coffee or like beer, Aaron boy. And next thing you know, he like networked his way in and got to be on set, got to meet people. And like a year or two later, he was getting to do some, some camera operating and stuff like that. He kind of worked his way in, but you got to really be hungry. Yeah. Even with a degree. 
Yeah, and you have to be a people person. You have got to be a people person. If you don't know how to walk onto a set or walk onto a job and make people like you without trying too hard, you know, there's that balance of bringing an energy on set that's attractive. And you just have to know how to do that. You're not going to please everybody. Not everybody's going to like you. But that doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about, do they like me enough to do this job? Am I qualified to do this job? Am I, you know, don't be annoying. Um, be collaborative. Don't be an a-hole. You know, you have to, you have to be a people person, dude. Like, the people who I know that kind of fell out, um, I can recount, like, they were not people people. Or, you know, mm -hmm. like, they're not people persons. So... I think it's that's hard. kind of an art, artistic mentality, though. There are a lot of art, yeah. artsy kind of people or creative people that don't have the best people skills. And I do think right. that can hurt you. I agree with you. And I hate that for them. But I do, too. Because, like, their ideas really were phenomenal and they had so many things that they wanted to make, but they just couldn't get along with people. And I was like, dude, get the chip off your shoulder and, <laughs> like, just be nice. Like, yeah. I met so many mean people in this industry when I was first starting out and even in school, so many mean people. And I think it's important to note that like, I never want to see those people again. I never want to sure. work with those people again. Why would I? And all it did was teach me, don't be mean to people, be nice to people. You're going to get a lot further, you know, with bees if you have honey. And I think that people who continue to be nasty and rude and, they're not going to go very far and I've seen them fall off and it's just like, don't be mean, be nice. Like it's, it's not hard. Be nice and be a people's person and be ready to work. Like you said, you got to remain hungry. If you're not hungry, I mean, why are you here? You know, hundred percent. I have, uh, I've met some people like one guy in particular who's got a pretty solid background. He's worked on um, a lot of like reality shows and stuff, but I have literally never hired him no matter how many times he's asked because he does nothing but name drop, brag oh. the entire time around him and I can't handle it. I can't yeah. handle it. You have to be, you just have to be a normal person. Just be a normal Read person. Read the room. Read, Read the, the room, room bro. Be a like, you know? like when, I, when you and I worked together, dude, we, I, I don't even know if you remember this. You probably do. But the first day of this last shoot we did together uh -huh. toward the evening, we were so tired and loopy that we were laughing about some Jurassic Park stupid yeah. joke <laughs> so hard at my truck that we like literally could not function. We were laughing so hard and it was fantastic, yeah. but it just made the day so much better, you know, cause we're just yeah. having a good time. And I feel like if you can, if you're hungry <laughs> and, and you work hard and you can have a good time and laugh, you'll right. make it. Because why are we doing this job at the end of the day, Josh? Because we, love, we it. love it. We love it. Because we love it. We love what we freaking do. I love what I do. I catch myself maybe once a month, once every two months on average saying, God, I wish I did something else. <laughs> God, I really hate this job. And yeah. that is so Usually it's compared. 1 a.m. editing for me is it's about usually, that point. <laughs> yes. It's usually when I'm like on a 12-hour shoot that's now at a 15-hour mark. And I'm like, <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this. But then the second day of the shoot, I mean, you saw what happened on the second day of the shoot. I got a second wind where you were you falling. Did. You were falling. You were like, oh my gosh, like this is really tough at this point. You know, we're how many hours into filming? Two days in a row. Like it was, it was getting there. And you have one kid and one on the way, right? Mm. You have less energy to expend, whereas I have more energy. And I remember it was like eight, nine something PM at night. 
And you were like, oh, God. And I was like, Josh, we've got to do it. We've already come this far. Get yeah. our asses in that house and we are going to finish this thing and it's going to be great and you're going to love it and your editor's going to make it look so good. You know? It was the was, la- it was the most important scene too. It was the, the photo most collage. Scene. Yeah. But I didn't and care anymore at that to, point. Yeah. You started to fall off and I was like, nope, yeah. nope. We have to find, even if it's an ounce worth, like we have to find that to pour it into this. Otherwise, we're going to be so mad at ourselves later because at the end of the day, we love what we mm. do and just because we're tired... And we are jaded and we're a little cloudy at that moment. You have to remember, like, we love what we do. Like, we do this because we love it. We're, we're not here just because it's a corporate nine to five job and we have to be here to make money. We suffer through the slow seasons to get to the busy seasons because we just love it. So, yeah, you have to have that hunger. If you don't, then you're probably not going to last very long, unfortunately. And I, I say that in the kindest way possible, in the most neutral way possible. Sure. I do think what almost broke me, though wasn't even the length of time that we had shot. It was the neon light there at the end. That one neon light. <laughs> Poor thing, yeah. <laughs> we could not figure out how to make that light look good to save our lives. Until context, the girls like, uh, Yeah, for context, it was pink, blue, blue. It, I think it was it a was bluish, blue. it was a bluish color, but it was, it was killing blue, the skin tone. Bright neon light against a yellow wall. Yes, that's what it was. Horrible. It was a disaster. And we tried to backlight to try and fill in some of that blue, but it just kept turning green. And then all of a sudden the girls say, well, we have a white neon sign. And your <laughs> eyes and my eyes literally lit up. We were like, yes, white, bring it in. And it looked so good. I'm it looked so glad. Incre- ended up being some of my favorite shots. But before that, I was like, this is a disaster. And I yeah. just wanted to give up at that point. But and you see, were I'm like, no, we'll you, figure this out. See, I persisted and I was like, we'll figure it out. But my brain wasn't even trying to think of a solution. I was just trying to carry the team. Whereas <laughs> me giving you that energy to keep going because you're good at methodically thinking through those things. So you had the energy to say like let's try this let's try this let's try this even though none of them were working (laughs) and then that's what that's what led to the girl saying well we have a white one too so if it weren't for that like relentless brainstorming Mm -hmm. even at the point that we were at mentally I mean, like we would have never gotten the shot that we got, and it looked incredible. It like did. it was it's the gonna most make the important project. thing. It, like, was it was the, the most, most important, important shot. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's hard. Kudos. When you when you've shot, we <laughs> I think the, we shot for two sixteen hour days, and that was like hour fifteen of the second mm-hmm. day, and yeah. it was just like you're at that point where you're like I don't care anymore, but you have yeah. to care. You have to. Care. You have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to care. And when that, what would you even call that? Not camaraderie, but like um, when that word that I can't think of loses the set like mm-hmm. if it's no longer on set with you um that's when you have to have somebody there to pick it back up you know because yeah. there are plenty of times where I'm on a wedding day and it's after vendor meal is over and I'm like dude I cannot like I have a broken foot right now so yeah, I'm working you literally had wedding. a broken foot whenever you're working with me yeah and <laughs> I've had it since like March and so I've been working every wedding in a boot or an orthopedic wear and so every time I sit down for dinner the last thing I want to do is get back up my foot is swollen it's throbbing like this thing just won't heal and I usually have a second shooter there that I bring on to every wedding with me and he's always like Amanda you have three more hours or you have four more hours or you just have two more hours like you got it. You got it. It's easy. And then before you know it, you're going to be on your way home and it's going to be fine. We're going to get through this together because I make him stay on with me the whole day. I just pay him hourly and I'm he has to be there or else I just lose my mojo, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, I get that. That energy fall off yeah. definitely happens sometimes. And if you don't have somebody there to pick that back up for you, it's hard. It's hard to get back, you know? <laughs> oh, 100%. I definitely have hired people before just to have another person there because I know that Same. if I have someone else... <laughs> 
and we're both suffering, we'll yeah. make it through it. Because if it's just me suffering, I'm going to have a hard time staying motivated. <laughs> yes. Like, it's like we're both on a sinking ship and it's not as lonely and scary as if it it's was exactly just me. It. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly it. That's oh so my funny. gosh. Well, I do agree with your thoughts on film school. I will say that um, I didn't get a degree in film. I kind of wish I did because I, I, learning the terminology, learning... Like you're talking about HMI lights. Like I know what that is, but like a lot of people don't even know what that means. Like what is right. an HMI light? I think right. having yeah. that, you getting to go to have that background and get that experience and that knowledge, the terminology, the the ability to work with equipment that even you may, you may not be working with airy cameras today, right. but you have the experience, you have the knowledge, you could take tidbits of what you learned right. and then implement that in what you do do today. Um, so I think that I think if you're serious about film or even if you're serious about video and you want to do what you're doing, you want to do some commercials, some weddings, and you yeah. want to learn at a higher level what a real film set's like so you can take tidbits of that information and implement it in your work. I do think mm -hmm. that there is value in that. And I think the only reason not to do it is if you are willing to be like me and just pour years and years and years of reading and research right. and learn it on your own. But not a lot of people are willing to do that. I even wish I would have not have had to have done that. I only did it out yeah. of necessity. But I think there's definitely value for people to go to go that route. And if you're yeah. not going to go that route, then at the very least, you have to be committed into learning it yourself. I agree. Yeah. And doing like some type of online program or something or even listening to your stuff and watching your stuff and being in your Facebook group. I mean, you have to have that level of dedication. Otherwise... It's almost like time wasted. I hate saying yeah. that, but you know, a lot we of- You don't want to just be like everybody else. If you want to be really good, you right. have to learn the technology yeah. and you have to learn how to implement the different, um, the different styles and the different ways that you can, that you can utilize like lights and sound. Yeah. If you're not willing to really learn that stuff, you'll just be an average Joe and you'll have right. a hard time really further in your career. Yes, exactly. Like I still catch myself on YouTube every Saturday morning before I shoot a wedding because I don't get up and edit on Saturdays. That's like my 8 a.m. to whenever I have to be at the wedding, 12, 1, 2 p.m. Those hours are spent for me time and I'll usually spend it on YouTube learning some new stuff um, and just like winding up for the day um, and just refreshing my brain. It doesn't matter if I'm doing it all the time. I know you know this. We get stuck in our ways of filming things sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, if especially if we're doing repetitive type jobs like weddings or talking heads or walkthrough videos, stuff like that. Um, yeah, it gets repetitive. So it's important to watch and refresh and relearn yeah. a lot of things because we do forget about it. We're not using it. So yeah, yeah. we're going to try to refresh our brains and constantly learn. You have to constantly be learning in this field because it's always changing. Oh my God, it's always changing. Yes. Changing faster than I can keep up personally, but. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Especially with the new AI stuff, which I haven't even started really dabbling in yet. No. no and I kind of don't want to, but. <laughs> I don't want to either, but I think it's. It's going to become stubborn. necessary at some point. Yeah, I'm like, I went through all that learning just to have AI do this and this and this for me, but I need to stop being such a, for lack of a better term, boomer about it and probably just <laughs> nut up and start using it. <laughs> I do have a friend the other day who did a real estate shoot up in New Jersey and the realtor asked him, so he shot this um, this empty, far old, like historic farmhouse and they wanted him to use AI to furnish Photo it. Photo or video? Photo. And okay. they wanted him to use AI to furnish it. Okay. Um, because it was empty and they didn't right. bring in um, uh, uh, 
what do you call that? What can I not think again? Like a stager. 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 Thank yeah. you. I could not think of that word. I only I do it. I do a lot of real estate stuff like yeah. five days a week. So that's the only reason why that word yeah. came so quick. Yeah. No. 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 Um, stuff I've done in the past when I did some real estate, we did bring in staging companies, but they didn't bring in a staging company, but they still wanted to look staged. So he's able to use, they wanted him to be able to use AI to be able to stage it. And I oh. haven't even begun to dabble into that yet. Instead and, of the regular virtual staging program that like my, so I have my editor who does virtual staging and she's incredible at it, but I didn't even think about that. I didn't mm -hmm. even think about AI in that realm of things. It's starting Jeez. to get to where it can handle that, which will make it faster than ever, but it also makes it more accessible to people. So there's definitely a downside. Yes, for sure. Yeah. But, oh man. Yeah. There's, there's a lot with AI. It's changing <laughs> quick. It's scary. Well, Thank you so much for hopping on today. What um, when you get down to Austin? What's what's the first thing you want to accomplish when you get here? Um, rest. Rest. <laughs> I want to rest. Um, July is a pretty slow month for me typically. Um, real estate and everything just is kind of at a slow, weird lull because it's really, really hot out, and realtors don't want to deal with anything in the heat. Um, nobody's looking to buy a house right before their kids go to school in August. So yeah, July is usually pretty slow for me and weddings. Obviously I'm in Texas. I think I only have one wedding and it's in the South of Texas. Um, I purposefully go slower in the summertime. This is technically Texas photographers off season. So June, July, August, well more July and August and early September is like our off time. And then December through February, January through February is the second off season. So definitely time to rest. Um, I just finished a lot of corporate gigs in the last week. So my foot, like I said, is broken. And I really just, I want to focus on healing that. Otherwise the problem's just gonna get worse. I'm not gonna be able to pour my energy into things that I love doing. I'm gonna have to keep pouring it into this in injury. So yeah, taking care of your body in this field is very important because it is hard on our bodies. Oh my God, it's hard on our bodies, geez. So yeah, the first thing I want to accomplish is just kind of nesting into the new space, making it my own, making it a place that I can work and have people over and have fun and just create new relationships within Austin. Um, I'm excited for the people. I'm excited for the vibes to happen there and to see kind of what I run into. So. And I definitely think one of the things you should focus on is figuring out where all the good food is because Austin's uh, yes. got some incredible food. Yes, I am ready to walk the streets. I am going to play it not safe and I am going to explore. That's what I love to do. I love to just like, that's how I know Dallas so well. I know every back road in Dallas, even the worst of the worst parts that people shouldn't go because I went around and I would like shoot things um, and go find things and find restaurants that nobody else knew about that were holes in the wall. So I'm excited to be in a new place like Austin where I get to do that again. You know, it's like a new playground for me. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like I'm as a man, I can't do that now because there's this like, I don't know if you've heard of that serial killer down near Rainy Street. Yeah. Where guys my age are just like disappearing at night, yeah. walking walking the trails there, going don't go at night. bars and restaurants. Jeez, don't no, go at I, night. I feel like I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is happening? I'm a target. <laughs> Never target. ever would have thought that would have been a thing, but apparently it's a thing. Oh, geez. Because <laughs> these yeah, like five people or scary. whatever it is have gone missing over there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really scary. But we definitely need to be careful um, and always be watching our backs because whew, you never know that's what kind of weird. crazy people are out there. Not everybody's like us. 
No. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, I'm excited to get together with yeah. you and with your wife and your kids and everything. Whenever I get yeah. down there, we'll have to hang out. And yeah, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you man. how to float the river is what we're going to do. I would love that. We should definitely plan <laughs> on doing that. Thank you so much for having me yeah. on, Josh. It's where, really where can been people, an honor. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been an honor to have you on. Where can people find your work? Yeah. Um, if they want to go to my Instagram, it's at Amanda Campbell visuals and Campbell is spelled camp bell, C A M P B E L L visuals. And it's the same with my website, Amanda Campbell visuals.net. Um, I'm working on getting the com, but it's very pricey for that URL. So it's net for now because we're in a network. That's what I tell myself. Um, Facebook, it's also Amanda Campbell visuals and I actually recently got off of Instagram and deleted all my social media, but I am getting back on approaching my move to Austin because I think it's important for networking purposes to get back on for that. So I am very good at answering my DMs. Um, a lot of people come to me for mentoring. They A lot of people want me to mentor them. I don't consider myself a very good teacher. However, it has been fun to connect with new creatives in that sense because I do get to explore their minds a little bit and see what they're thinking of. And it always helps me out. Like I said earlier, um, bouncing ideas with people. So yeah, Amanda Campbell visuals across the board. If you want to just Google me, it should come right up. Fun fact. Andy's last name was Mick Campbell, like really close. That's, I remember you told me that. Yeah. yeah. It's very Irish, Scottish. Very. Yeah. Tell me your I, Irish Scottish without telling me your Irish Scottish. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, oh my gosh. I got the perfect example that I interviewed <laughs> a guy the other day whose name was literally Patrick Ireland. And he had red hair. And I was like, tell me you're Irish without telling me you're Irish. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Patrick Carl, he works for Tech Sparks My Life. I was like, that is the most Irish name that has ever existed. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. What an anomaly. I love that. I know. I was like, that is incredible, dude. Like, I would be so proud of that name. <laughs> I would, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much, yeah, Josh. Thank you so I'll much for connect with you guys soon, on. okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, guys, for listening in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe to it. And if you um, have any comments or feedback on the podcast, please uh, give us a, a rating and let us know your thoughts. And be sure to join the Filming with Josh group to learn more about video. I'll see you all there. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.